0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, my host, Evan Sutter. I'm joined by two special guests this time around. We're by ourselves in the media room right now. It's Scott Bordeaux, AZ Central. And we have Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. Good, good. man. All right. And um, we're going to get right into it because we had our workout today. We had Anthony Simons in. And we also had Bruce Brown and Hamid DiGiallo, a lot of these other guys. But really want, want to talk about Scott and Kellen today. It's really one of the main discussions we've been talking on the podcast throughout the entire last few months, the entire season, and that's Luka Doncic versus DeAndre Ayton. As far as number one, we have our pro Ayton person here, Scott Bordeaux. And we also have me. As you guys know, I'm a Luka Doncic person. And we have Kellen, who's given his side of the table, and he's also gotten into a near-boxing match with John Gamadoro. So that was pretty interesting to watch. But just... What's your thoughts? I'm going to start with you, Scott. Just give us the floor and just explain why you believe DeAndre Ayton should be the pick and it's really not close for you.
1: I, I think he's a can't-miss NBA prospect. And I understand why people nitpick about his, about his game. You watch him in college and he wasn't good defensively. A lot of times he'd be standing around. Um, he, he doesn't have great defensive instincts. But to me, the fact that he has the athleticism to play defense in terms of a big man at 7'1", 260, you don't see many big men that have been as athletic as he can. I mean, I think once he's taught defensive instincts, is really given some defensive coaching he'll be able to switch out on the perimeter and when need be now he also played people have to understand he played power forward at u of a so he was chasing guys that were six 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 seven around the perimeter because Ristich was playing center i think when he plays center in the nba he won't be doing as much of that is he going to be a great defensive player I, I don't think so but i think his offensive game is already so developed in terms of his footwork his shooting ability i think he's a guy that right now can hit the 18 foot jumper eventually he'll shoot threes I don't have to have my big men shooting threes. I think that's overstated a little bit in the NBA. I do have to have him space the floor. I think he can do that already. I think he's a guy that comes in, averages 18 and 10 almost immediately. And as he plays more inside, the blocks per game, the other criticism of him, will rise because he'll be be playing more around the basket as opposed to chasing guys around the perimeter. I just think he can't miss. As, in terms of what his ceiling is, I mean, I talked to Fran Fraschilla, who used David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, and Hakeem Olajuwon as comms. If he's three-quarters of those guys in his sixth year, how do you not draft a number one?
0: Yeah, that's a really compelling case there. I wanted to ask you as well just – from my point of view, I think that Doncic would really elevate Devin Booker, but it seems like also DeAndre can do that as well. He'd take a lot of pressure off him. So. I, th- I
1: think both those guys do, but I think the Suns need so much talent. At this point, they have to take who they think is going to be the best player in the NBA, regardless of position. And I think the only way you wouldn't do that is if the number one guy was strictly a shooting guard, you have Devin Booker, and that doesn't happen anymore. So they have to say who's the be- who's going to be the best player for us three or four years down the road, whether it's Doncic or Aiden. I don't think who complements Booker should be part of the discussion. They just, they just need talent. That's a really good point. I guess, bring it over to you, Kellen, just we had guys into Aaron Holiday, Shake
0: Mill, and those are really longer perimeter defenders, it seems like. If they do go DeAndre, and those might be guys to watch 16-31. So just what's your thoughts on Scott's comments there as far as the positives made?
2: I agree with pretty much everything that Scott said, believe it or not. The case, yeah, I know,
0: shocking. Everyone's really
2: surprised when they hear me actually talk about DeAndre Aiden because they expect me to just flat out hate him because I don't have him number one. I like him a lot as a prospect. It has more to do with how much I like Doncic, honestly, because Aiden has the highest upside in this draft. I think that's where the gap is for me is that I see a pretty big gap in his ceiling and his floor whereas I feel a lot of people feel like his floor is already so high and I agree that his floor is high but I don't think it's quite that high and I feel like the ceiling is actually higher than some other people are talking about can you imagine like how fast and mobile that guy is switching on the ball switching on three to four. Oh yeah try and score on this guy at the rim too and grab rebounds around him he could be a guy at his apex who averages like four to five blocks a game 13 to 14 rebounds a game and just be a monster
1: Anthony Davis yes yeah.
2: he can he can yeah. really be that defensively yeah. at least um offensively and defensively i just both have my little concerns that have me just bumping him down a little bit and just a little bit in this draft with Dauntage for me is down to number two. Um, I think that his offense is getting a little bit over-advertised. If you look at the shot charts for him, he's actually shooting only 36 to 38% from the short mid-range area. That's where you're seeing a lot of those hook shots and just a lot of those post moves. But actually when you move him to the long mid-range area, which is where that mid-range jumper is 51%. Yeah. So that's really where the difference is for him. It's about, okay, take all that skill you have with your jumper and those basic post moves and really turn it into something and just be a little more dominant around the rim you just watch him play for a whole season myself as an Arizona grad diehard University of Arizona basketball fan maybe to me more than others it was like be more physical get inside this guy's six seven I don't care about fouls dunk over that guy and there were just too many moments like that for me that made me believe some of the reports that we've heard ESPN's Jonathan Gibney reported in mid-February that Ayton sees himself as more of a power forward than a center, and the entire thing that we've been talking about, which is his situation was bad for him, that was actually by his design. He actually wanted it that way. He wanted to play with Deuce on Do I believe he can be a center in today's NBA? Absolutely, he can. And do I think he has the mentality to do that? I think so. Um, But defense is the one thing where it can go either way. We saw Ben Simmons at LSU. He was a nightmare, and we've seen just countless guys. DeJounte Murray just made all defense, and he was the guy coming out of Washington where we were like, I, I guess he can get to the rim, and he's athletic, and he's long, but that's where it comes in, and that's where I go back to Aiden is that it's, it's more unpredictable for me in terms of his ceiling and floor, and I just feel safer about Dontich.
1: And I, I don't think he got great coaching in college. I know Sean Miller's Revere is a great coach, yeah. but I don't think they used him effectively in the offense. You watch that Buffalo game. They often should have run through DeAndre Ayton last year, and it didn't. And I don't understand that. I mean, the ball should have been in his hands in the low post every possession and have guys cutting around him and going up beyond the three-point line. It wasn't. I just think he's going to get better coaching the NBA, and I, I just think his ceiling is great. Look, I, I, I like Doncic a lot, but I, I keep talking. I was at the convent. I talked to you know people there, and the one thing you hear over and over again, does he have the athleticism to be a star in today's game? Um, and I know the Suns believe, keep saying he's bigger than people think, and so sometimes people mistake that. that he's not 6'2 180 who's going to fly around the court. He's six eight, two twenty. He's not Anthony Simons, who we right. saw today, who looked right.
2: like he just got out of his sophomore year of right. high school. Right,
1: right, yeah. yeah. He's built like Joe Johnson, thick and everything, but if you don't have elite athleticism, how difficult will it be in, in this league with so many great wing defenders who are great athletes to be able to get off your shots, you know, be effective off the pick and roll? and I think he's going to be a very good player, but I do think there's a lower floor for Doncic than there is for Aiton. You talk about floor and ceiling. I think there's a possibility Luka could be a really good player, not a multiple-time all-star, where I think DeAndre Aiton, to me, is a multiple-time all-star at the minimum. I just do. He's, he's more of a generational talent for sure, and I guess I wanted to ask you because of that lack of athleticism, like I brought that up a lot on the podcast as
0: well, just guys like Lonzo Ball and James Harden, they don't really have that lack of athleticism as well. So do you think, obviously with Luca, those are the two main comparables for his lack of athleticism? I'll turn it over to you first, Scott Kellen,
1: just what's your thoughts on that? You can always pick exceptions and rules. I mean, yeah. James Harden is, is is an obvious exception. He he just has a way of getting defenders off balance that very few guys get and, and then getting past them. But those guys are far more exceptions. That. You can take one guy out of 100, but there are 99 guys who have average athleticism and don't become stars in the NBA because of that. Um, So that would be my concern for Luca. Look, his on-court, and the Suns will tell you, and and his on-court vision and passing ability is just supernatural in some ways. They just rave about it. But, and this is not a knock against the EuroLeague. As everybody says, it's the second-best league in the world. But generally, the athleticism of those players isn't what the NBA is. And that's just the one question I have for him going forward. Now, just your thoughts on that as well.
2: Yeah, I hate player comparisons in general. People ask me like, "Who does Doncic look like?" And I'm like, "I like, kind of Gordon Haywardy, I guess. Yeah. Like, but I, I just hate player comparisons. Even someone like DeAndre Ayton, where he, looks like, a certain, he yeah. looks like David Robinson. He looks like David Robinson. He is not David Robinson right. at all, but he looks like him. Um, for Luca, the athleticism, I think. What we've seen from him in the past two years and like being on the radar within the past two years, that was his main question, was athleticism and his handle. His handle was not this good a year ago. He improved it significantly over the past year. And I think we see with him physically how demanding his schedule has been. And going back on the flip side of that, In terms of his schedule and how it's gone i think that his like eating habits we've clearly like heard reports that they haven't been great and his training hasn't been great we joked that we saw him in the weight room the other day he's like oh he knows where the weight room is he seems like someone who's really going to benefit from nba strength and conditioning and i think that's where he'll get an extra step and i think that's really all that he needs but that being said that's that's a that's an if and that's to turn him from a guy who's like in that Lonzo area where you're like okay 12 to 14 points a game is what you're looking for but Doncic is a guy who could really average like 20 to 25 a game if he really elevates his athleticism enough and I think that he can and I think there's a chance of that happening which is why if if I didn't feel that way that's where I'd have Doncic right next to each other but I just have the belief that he's going to be a next level scorer in this league as well and I think if you look at a coach like Igor Kokoshkov, I have to make that point, don't I, if I have Doncic number one, is that he's going to know exactly how to use him. I didn't really feel like he impacted their decision at all, but I feel like if you're looking at these guys 50-50, which the Suns might be, the thing that pushes you over the edge with Doncic is like, how do we use him? Who's going to know how to use him? Your coach knows how to use him. Okay, now you take him number one over. But that's if it's 50-50. You've been sl- not sleeping for two weeks. You don't know who to take.
1: And it's interesting how often the Suns have come out in the last few, a couple weeks since Igor hired and said, look, he's willing to coach whatever you know, whatever players we give him. He'll fit his scheme to fit those players. It's almost as if they're, to me, saying, all right, this is why, one reason why we're going to take DeAndre, because Igor can coach anybody up. His, yeah. He's a player development guy, whether it's – Igor, I mean whether it's uh, DeAndre or Luca, he can coach anybody up, and they keep talking about how flexible he is with talent. So I just think it's almost them telling us they're going to draft draft DeAndre. The other thing I, I, I worry about Luca and I is all right, who covers point guards, and I know. I know people say that that can't be a huge concern. You have Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson was not a great defender last year year's no. rookie year, even though that was his calling card. Yeah. He hasn't proven that he can be a guy. He has the athleticism, and the quickness, but he hasn't proven he's a guy that can cover point guards. If you use Luka and Devin Booker in the backcourt, I think you're going to have a really, really difficult time covering point guards and then those point guards breaking down your defense and really causing trouble. It was a, it's been a problem for years now. Um, Luka does a lot of great things well, but that would be also a concern for me.
2: I have a question for both of you, actually, and I guess I'll give my answer, too. This is not based on like, any reporting, any like, hearing buzz, but do you think they know who they want to take already? I do. I yeah, think so, too. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think they do.
1: I, I think they're taking DeAndre number one. And I will tell you, I talked to a Sons person in Chicago, I won't tell you who it is, but I asked him just to describe the two players. And um, the first off the record, and the first thing he said about Luke, who was a really nice player, When I and talked about his passing vision. Um, when I asked him about DeAndre, the first words out of his mouth were, he's a monster. That tells me I, they're going to talk about it and they'll discuss it. I will be, at this point, absolutely shocked if they don't take DeAndre Ayton.
2: They don't need any bumps in the road right now with where they're at in this rebuild right now. When you draft Luka, you have to ask that question, who guards, point guards. Yeah. Okay, if anyone can't guard, is Josh going to be okay? Can Josh play the four? Can Luka play the four? Right. You've got all these questions. I think Josh having that huge second half of his rookie year kind of – I don't think you were going to ever like draft him with the intention of taking Jackson, putting him on the bench, but he like solidified himself as a key part of this franchise in his rookie year. DeAndre's like, we need a center. Tyson can that's run with exactly him for a right. year. Take him. We'll worry about all the defensive stuff later. But taking a guy with defensive concerns on this team, we talked about Josh Jackson, who right. profiled to be a great defender. He was a mess last year, even for a rookie standards. And that's where DeAndre specifically, learning around this team, I actually think he just by default has a lower defensive ceiling just by being drafted with this team because he's gonna play with Booker, he's gonna play with Jackson, who both have their moments defensively, even Booker does, but their defensive instincts are just not good. Josh gets caught ball watching in a lot of certain situations and Devin obviously has those problems as well. That's where I just kind of see him and kind of shudder. but as a Dragan Bender stand, I also think like him and Dragan together, like that could help plug a lot of ways in Keese as well, just being a guy like switching those three guys around and playing them in different situations together could help. So I, I'm fine with either selection. Everyone thinks that I'm just going to jump off a cliff if they take DeAndre Ayton for some reason. I'm a U of A grad. I love DeAndre Ayton. I'll take him number one. That's fine.
1: I, I do think, also, we're, you have now a coach who's going to have these guys through a training camp. I mean, Jay Triano got this team three games into the season. He could only do so much in terms of changing schemes and everything. And, and he and I talked a lot, obviously, during the season. He, he didn't think this team was in good enough shape after training camp. Um, he didn't have time to really install everything he wanted at training camp. He will, he will now. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton is going to be better defensively. And I do think, and, and you mentioned this, Tyson Chandler, they have the perfect mentor in yeah. place for DeAndre Ayton. You have a guy who's a 17-year NBA veteran. I asked Tyson late last year, if you played 12 minutes a game next year and were their mentor, DeAndre Ayton, how would you feel? He said, perfect. So he would love that role. You have a guy. You have the perfect mentor for him in terms of being a professional, being in the weight room. Doing all the th- all the things to me just makes too much sense. If
2: you're like drafting ten role players across the league, veteran role players to be like vet- mentors, like I think Dudley, Dudley and Chandler probably both go in the top five. Yeah, and yeah. that that's the awesome part about that situation. I think the most interesting angle on this, and maybe one that comes up more like as we get on the week of draft day though, is when you look at a player like Luca. That's someone you build your system around Booker and Luca. What if the Suns already have a couple guys in mind for the offseason that they're looking at in terms of guys that are going to handle the ball a lot? And you look at a guy like DeAndre, you're like, okay, you you'll run your post game you'll run pick and rolls for us it's going to be a lot easier for us to work our system around you because we're going to go get Kemba Walker or we're going to go get John Wall or we're going to go get Kawhi Leonard or whoever and even if it's an interior guy like power forward it's just a lot more simple whereas Luca is we are building our system around you and what does this team want to do next year? They don't want to like win 29 games. Be like, oh well, Luka and Booker, the system together was great. They want to win 40 games right. and be like Kemba, and DeAndre. 40, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think you make a great point. I mean, it's easier to find wing players or guys who can handle the ball than it is to find the potentially dominant big man who fits today's NBA game. Yep. There's maybe a half a dozen in the NBA right now, guys like Embiid and Anthony Davis. I mean, it's really hard to find those guys anymore that can be dominant low post, but also come out on the floor in space. If Aiton is one of those guys, you can find a ball handler. You can find a guy that maybe can cover point guards. I mean, it's easier to find those guys. It's harder to find a guy like Aiton. And, and if he turns out to be, if you don't draft him, he turns out to be a multiple-time all-star and first-team all-NBA. And In the division, it's, it's, so. a fran- it's a decision that could haunt you for a decade.
0: Now, thinking about it real quickly, if they do go DeAndre Ayton, number one, they have the options on draft night, number 16. They have guys like Shake Gilgis-Alexander, point guards like that, and they also have the trade options like Kemba Walker if they want to. So what's your thoughts heading the offseason? i start with Scott. Just if they do go DeAndre
1: Ayton, what's your expectation for what they might do? I think it all depends on who's available, say, at number 12 and 13 and 11. I don't think they're going to trade up far enough to get a guy like Trey Young. I think he's going six to Orlando. But I, let's say Shea Gilgis-Alexander-Falls is on the board 12 for 13. I think there's a very good chance the Suns might call the Clippers, say, and say, look, we'll give you our 16 pick, maybe our Milwaukee's pick next year, which will probably be in the 20s, and somebody to move up to 12 or 13 and, draft, and, and get Shea. If they can't get a point guard at that point, let's say they draft Aiden, then I think they try to find one in, in free agency, whether it's a sign trade with Campbell Walker or something like that. I, to me, that's, that's the most logical path for them to go down. You know, it's like the most aggressive path they can take as far as they've been talking about that.
2: Yeah, I think point guards are easy to get in the NBA right now as well. So I think even looking at trade-up options, if you take DeAndre, I wouldn't mind McCall or Miles Bridges. Just get another wing who can do a little bit of everything. McCall specifically with like threes and defense, but Bridges is – Miles is a little bit more – well-rounded that's where you can look at trading up for guys like trey colin sexton maybe they're interested in shea as well but i think point guard is somewhere where you look across the league especially with what we just talked about earlier is that they want to win next year? you're not doing that with a rookie point guard and brandon knight you're not winning 40 games with a rookie point guard and brandon knight so is that where they look at the situation and say we're going to add another point guard already and then we'll have brandon be his backup and that's where we can draft another wing maybe trade up for a wing We'll see. It's it, The thing that's so difficult to talk about all of this and just any sort of, like, looking ahead is, like, there are, like, seven moves left for them to oh, do right yeah. now, and we don't know what one of them is. Although
1: I think they could be a 35-41 to 41 team if they draft eight, and, and, I mean, they rave about Brandon Knight. They raved about him in the second half of last season, yeah. how good he looked, how his attitude has changed, which is a huge difference, and he's been a good player in this thing. He hasn't been an all-star player, but he's been a good point yeah. guard, and, you know, if you start him for, you know, forty games where you figure rookie figures out the NBA, but you have Booker, you have Josh Jackson who should be better, and you have a DeAndre Eaton and you add him maybe a, a, a four, I think you can be a team that goes thirty seven and whatever the you know, forty five if I'm doing the math right next year.
2: We're gonna spend like the the weeks in between summer league and preseason looking at these win projections and being like Man, do you guys remember how good Devin Booker was last year? Yeah. Are you are you sure? Because they're going
1: to be like twenty six, right? Yeah. In the day. yeah. Well, it's just his yeah. trajectory right now. He right.
2: comes in his rookie year, he goes from not playing to being the number one option on offense, doing pretty well with it. Year two, now he's one of the best young players in the league. Number three, now he's one of the best shooting guards in the league. So we get to year four, and now he's just one of the best guards in the league, one of the best players in the league.
1: And like don't you think he's going to be a lot better when there's not so much burden on him to do everything, when he can play off other guys? He hasn't been able to play off anybody yeah. on this team. We joke about G League rosters, but they had a
2: G League roster. Yeah, they did. That's yeah. what they had, and he was still putting up those numbers and working through so many injuries. He's finally going to be healthy, too. Yeah. He spent yeah. a lot of last year and Me and you kept asking him, like, what's your shoulder like? Your How's your, how's your yeah. knee? Your like, it, it was yeah. all that stuff. He had a list of, like, 9 to 10 things he went through last year, and I think that there's reason to be optimistic about the team, but I think the two keys are who do they get a power forward because they're not going to draft one that's going to be of impact this year unless they plan on playing DeAndre and or Tyson Chandler together, and that's where I'll blow my brains no, out. No, that's not happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he likes power forwards. Yeah, Scott that, that's heard still not rumors.
1: happening. <laughs> um, and you can call him a power forward in the yeah. NBA, by the way, and still play the five. Yeah. He can be called whatever he wants, yeah. you know.
2: It's going to come down to power forward and point guard. And point guard is specifically like Brandon, I think. And he's been working. Like Follow him on Instagram if you're a Suns fan. He's been working nonstop.
1: I'm telling you, they they were, They were are amazed by the change of attitude he had. I think missing the whole year with that knee injury has kind of really taught him how to re- reevaluate playing basketball, how much he enjoyed it. Um, I think you're gonna see a different brand tonight next year.
2: Read Scott's story if you haven't read it from earlier in the year and like Craig he sounded, did another story. Yeah. From someone who talked to him too, and we saw him even like try and duck us sometimes. Like he would walk out of the media room yep. with his hoodie on, try and leave, like he was super open with you and said, Like I've changed through this process and that's the guy for me specifically where I think he could change, and you know what? I think he could be pretty good with Luka Doncic, too. I'm just going
0: to end on that. Hey, this is a really fun conversation. Appreciate you guys both coming on. This will be part one of our podcast. i will be talking later on tonight for our second part of this episode. Hello and welcome to Locked On, Sun's part of Locked On podcast. And we're, we're actually back for part two of our episode this time around, as Brendan is back, and we are going to be talking about today's workout. We had six different prospects in today, and let me pull up the list here as well. It was headlined by Aaron Holiday of UCLA, who – as i'll explain later on the podcast he had a super impressive workout remind me a lot of jordan bell last year where he was really lapping almost every single person in the pacer run and he finished with 28 which is one behind shaquille harrison who is a current phoenix sun at 29 for the most down and backs in their history as far as this event goes for them so that's very impressive and the entire the entire process that i've seen so far i'm trying to catch on some like trends a little bit obviously it's the second workout overall but it looks like they're prioritizing length a little bit in this workout circuit. They have Aaron Holliday, Anthony Simons today as well. Tony Carr came in today, Shake Millen on Friday. And we also saw other two big wing guys that can also be playmakers and Bruce Brown from Miami and Tommy D'Aul from Kentucky. So just what was your thoughts on seeing those names and also just it seems like the Suns are prioritizing at least on the surface right now really length on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it is only
3: the second workout and – That could just be the, you know, how they're attacking things where those are, and I think it does make sense because there are
1: a lot of names, and that can be great, and, you know, I
3: think that that gives them an opportunity, especially with two picks in the same range at 16 and 31. They're going to have their pick from maybe being able to get two of those guys, and that's an opportunity, obviously, but it also means that there's some homework to do. So I would imagine, like McDonough said on friday that you know we will see bigs in here too but the fact that we've already now seen 12 of this type of player and you know who knows about the guys on friday i'm sure some of those won't even be in the draft come draft time
0: now, I saw- um, but
3: it's exciting i think that especially when you see names like Carr and players like that that we've been talking about so much
0: now i saw earlier today kellen Olson tweeted out about espn their top 100 list or at least their top 60 only seven big men in the range of 14 to 60 are available at least in that top 60 so is this one of the worst classes at least really after maybe robert williams where and maybe maybe Milch robinson may be buying in on his upside where this might be one of the worst classes outside of the lottery as far as big men go because really after the top 10 or so it really falls off a cliff
3: yeah, I think you definitely could look at it that way. I also think maybe it's a matter of what teams are prioritizing. You know, we talk all the time about how the Suns are prioritizing that versatility, and like we just mentioned, with the guys they brought in so far, they clearly are. But I think that it definitely lacks that talent. You know, because I'm not necessarily excited about any of those the other names that you maybe could throw in there from a talent perspective either. But I also think you know you can't ignore the fact that teams aren't necessarily looking for that type of player at this point and I think some of it is the FBI stuff too guys like um, Chmizzi Metu probably would have had a more more exciting season if USC hadn't been hit with that and Austin Wiley was a name that didn't really get as much buzz as he ought to have if he had played for Auburn this year so those are two more guys I think could have been in there but still I mean that's only bringing you up to nine so I think it's that combination of the way that teams are looking at talent at this point and just probably a lack of talent as well
0: that's a good point because for me, like names like Moritz Wagner and really Elise Johnson of Missouri State, they kind of stand out as second round bigs so they could be names keeping on at 31. But as far as today's workout goes, we also forgot to mention Svee Makaibu from Kansas, another Kansas guy came in who's a sharpshooter, only 20 years old. He's a senior. But really the other guys on that list, Hamidou Diallo, Tony Carr, Anthony Simons, is probably the biggest mystery man in this class. Those three guys we really haven't talked about much, if at all, in this podcast. So I guess we can start off with Anthony Simons because – for me i haven't been able to watch much of img because there's really not much img tape out on like at least public websites available for free so when looking around for Simon, so i have to really just watch his highlights and see how he translates because when you're looking at simon's profile i don't think you're looking at it right now because when you saw him in person today he's very very thin he looks like a high schooler he obviously because he's only 18 19 years old but he has a long ways to go compared to a guy like markel folds who i've seen comparisons to because he was actually physically built at the time of 19 years old and Simon's at least two or three years away from being a regular A two game contributor in the NBA. So what's your thoughts on Simon? Because he's a home-run risk at 16 or 31, but the upside's pretty huge for him.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think it would scare me to take him at 16. I think that's too big an investment for someone who you really – I mean, you can feel great about him. I think he clearly has a package of skills that could be pretty awesome. I mean, you think about someone like Damian Lillard, I think, like, you know – style-wise and and size-wise that's maybe a comp of a ceiling he could reach if that shooting pull-up shooting especially translates for him and the ability to kind of finish acrobatically and with strength those kinds of things are what Lillard has turned into an awesome career and Simons kind of looks to me like that kind of a player I think that's obviously a package of skills that you understand wanting I just think 16 is too high for that but Yeah, I think you're right, though, with uh, being a couple years away from even being able to really contribute. I I really can't imagine a situation, even for a team like the Suns, that is going to be pretty young again next year, that he's playing really at all next season. I I just can't really see it, you know, considering how little upper-level experience he's had and um, how far away his body looks. It just would really surprise me if he's anything for any team next year.
0: Now, let's say they do take Simons, or even any, any NBA team. Do you think that he's a guy that's going to spend a lot of his time next year in the G League? Because to me, it seems like maybe the G League's the best option for him to at least develop at a good pace.
3: I think so, but then, you know, if you're thinking that, and I agree with you, I think that's how teams should be looking at it. It's like, you're going to take that guy in the first round, that would... Kind of surprised me, honestly, the way that I look at it, but it seems like teams are, are pretty into him. And he's been consistently in the 20s most of the year on, you know, any, everywhere from the Draft Express guys at ESPN down to, you know, any old mock you look at. He's, he's consistently 20 to 30. So it kind of seems like he's going to be a first rounder. That's just surprising to me. I guess other teams have more intel, obviously, than you and I do, but it just does me to see a first rounder spend. His whole season in
0: the G League, like that. Yeah, I agree because Simon's, like we mentioned, there's really not much tape on, him, so I really can't break much in depth down on him. Just outside of like his potential and his overall frame he has right now. So how was he
3: in the interview? How, well, I mean, what was his, it was, I'm sure people were asking him about exactly this kind of stuff, right? Like, how do you expect to translate your game and blah blah
0: blah? Yeah, he was actually pretty short, like most of the guys in the interviews today. He seemed like he just wanted to get out of there. But his overall, yeah. his overall thoughts. It seemed like he, his main package of skills, he said is being a three-level scorer and also being a facilitator. So do you see a guy like maybe Simon's, obviously you probably haven't watched much IMG as well, but your thoughts on maybe him being a three-level scorer and how that can complement a guy like Devin Booker?
3: Yeah, I definitely, like I said before, think he can be a pretty solid shooter. I mean, he has a pretty quick release. He can get it off, um, you know, on kind of that spot-up, really sudden rookie jerk type of pull-up shot that can be effective against, pressuring defenses especially you know on the pick and roll if you have that ability to rise over the top of the defense and shoot especially because he has above average height for a point guard i think that stuff is going to be valuable um you know i finishing who knows he, he can finish right now against high school defense but unless like you mentioned at the beginning of the section on him unless that you know unless he really adds strength and muscle He's never going to be able to finish against NBA defense. So it's just kind of a matter of waiting and seeing and, and developing. And I think if he lands in a good program, he definitely could be, could be an awesome player. But, you know, um, I guess the Suns haven't really shown themselves to be that because they really haven't taken a chance on somebody like him. But, you know, somebody's going to do it.
0: For Simon's case, I hope he lands in a place like Boston or Golden State because if he lands somewhere like Sacramento or somewhere like that i just feel like it's not going to end well for his overall development but we're going to jump really quickly over to hamadou diallo because he was a guy last year that had some buzz for first round and there was some sun's interest on that end and he's back here again this year and it when we talked to assistant gm pat connelly he's gonna be taking over the media duties for the next couple of weeks till mcdonough is returns i think the week of the draft but he mentioned with hamadou diallo his defense his presence is he shows that quote-unquote new york grit on defense and It seemed like that really stood out to them today as far as athleticism, the package he brings on it from that end and also when you add in the defense. So is he a guy that maybe could be able to switch one through three on the next level?
3: He definitely has the explosiveness that you could see him defending smaller players, and he has the size to defend, you know, wings already. So I think that package is exciting, and I think, you know, what made people sour on him so much and the fact that he – didn't show that advanced basketball feel and playmaking ball handling skills that you would have hoped I think maybe just because he did have that extra half season with Kentucky where he was practicing and getting experience with those guys and then was able to step into a role on such a young team this year at Kentucky I think the expectation was that he would kind of contribute a little bit more and they really tried to feed him the ball and have him be an integral part of their offense early in the season and and kind of went away from that when Shea Gil, just Alexander developed out overnight in the middle of the year for them. Um, I, I just, I think that to me the, the athleticism and versatility and all that stuff that the physical stuff is what he was going to be, what he was going to be selling you on in the first place. So maybe yeah, he's not a lottery pick like he could have been if he was dishing assists left and right and you know bombing threes. But to me, that package is still there. So you know, he's somebody at thirty-one. I think is definitely worth a flyer and somebody maybe a little bit further along but in the same you know idea as simon's where maybe he's a development project was uh, obvious
0: now from that standpoint do you think that if they were to go eight and then and someone like aaron holiday at 16 for example think diallo at 31 is kind of the guy where you could go okay we can do a little home run swing here a little bit but if it doesn't pay off it'll be all right because he at least has a a translatable tool as far as defense. Cause it, I mean, those guys in the top of the second round or late first round, I feel like you have to have that specific good skill. You're good at. And, but with Diallo, I think the defense in at plus, I mean, he kind of checks the box for both those.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think he makes sense as somebody who probably could really benefit from the G league. Maybe, you know, sign him If you're getting him at 31, you don't feel as uncomfortable with signing him to a, a two way contract. I think that's a little bit high. I would, I would be interested actually to look back last year of the rookies who signed two way deals. Who like the highest pick was, um, but he, he, I think you know because he has that where he's going to be able to physically dominate in the G League and he's going to be able to get those advantages and then you know develop that secondary stuff, the more technical and skill related aspects of the game. I think he really could benefit from that. So. You know, that combination of having those skills that he can bank on and then the ability to get better from there. You know, maybe he never does, and he's probably not an NBA player if he doesn't. But, you know, like I said, at 31, I don't think that's too big of a risk, especially if you get two guys you feel good about at 1 16.
0: How do you feel about a shot? Because obviously he didn't shoot well at Kentucky, but he mentioned today that he's been really working on it. It really didn't work. We only saw like one shooting drill before the three minute run, and it was the usual spot up drill where they have like pull ups and spot ups from the corners. and really from all over the court. But Diallo wasn't that bad. His form looks a lot better. His form, he was actually hitting a, a couple of those up from the threes, not as proficient as a guy like Holiday. But do you think maybe there is some untapped shooting upside with him as he gets with a guy like Kakoshkov?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, to, to give the numbers, he, he he attempted 2.1 per game. So, you know, it's not like he was afraid of it necessarily. Um, and then 34%, not awful. But the real thing to me is it was just so hot and cold for him where – You know he would just make some ugly ones um he didn't always look comfortable you know in rhythm on spot up attempts and things like that um I think he's a guy who probably feels most comfortable it looks like to me watching their offense early in the season especially I think he looked more comfortable with the ball in his hands the problem is he just really wasn't able to do anything with it so then they put him off the ball and then he just kind of got uncomfortable and that's I think when I saw him look the most timid with his shot and, and get some really ugly attempts off um so I think obviously if he can make that less, if he can become more consistent and just have that be a real um, confident part of his game, I could definitely see it. But then you know, sixty-one percent, sixty-two percent on free throws—that's not really a good indicator for him moving forward. So I think a lot of his NBA success is going to bank on the, the jump shot for sure. I think you're right; he could be a three-and-D player if he just adds that, and you know, then you're really looking at a contributor.
0: Yeah, I think if he can get that shot, I think he's a day-one contributor. But he could be available, in my opinion, at 59 because I've seen a lot of people cool on Diallo. How do you have him great on your board?
3: I I did a second-round mock for Fansided this week just to kind of mix it up and kind of get my arms wrapped around some of those guys that I hadn't really looked at in a while. And I think he's definitely in the top 45 for me in the first half of that second round somewhere. I think it's going to depend for him a lot on team, kind of like Simon. A team that feels like they can turn an athletic, raw guy like that into a player is probably going to have him ranked higher, whereas some team that hasn't really had a lot of success in that maybe already has a few of those guys on the roster and doesn't feel like they want to take another one. Maybe, you know, the Suns even could be on that with Devon Reed, Shaq Harrison, guys like that already on the roster. Um, Maybe not so high, but I, I definitely think that he's much, much higher with those physical tools than you know, a lot
0: of these other players for sure. Now, DL obviously is an interesting guy to watch heading toward June 21st, but another guy I was into today, six, six point guard in the same archetype, sort of as shake Milton on Friday, but less proficient as a shooter is Tony Carr Penn state. He was a sophomore last year. He really improved his sophomore year. He really wasn't a guy talked about much as freshman year, but he burst onto the scene. I've seen some late first round grades for him on the high end. I've also seen some mid to late second round on the low end or the average end. So what's your thoughts on Tony Carr, to me? Because, He's, he has at least some shooting potential. He's shown, a, he had some hot and cool games like Diallo at Penn State, but if you're 6'6 with almost a 6'10 wingspan, as a point guard, you have at least some tools to work with there.
3: For sure, and it's similar um, to Simon's for me. A lot of his appeal comes from those really modern guard tools, pull-up jump shooting, that size. Um, you know, he obviously, since he's a little bit older, a little bit more developed physically, was able to add that finishing um i think really you know looking at his body and his just overwhelming size he really could be a pretty exciting defender somebody who could cover quite a bit for devin booker i mean I, I don't i can't speak to his like really technical defensive skills i haven't watched him a ton just because there's not a lot of penn state games on the internet but you have to be really interested when somebody's that big and has that much similar to all these guys some of that much athleticism we're we're coming on a lot of the same terms again and again with these guys.
0: Do you feel like maybe that's maybe that's sort of the underlying tone that I sort of missed on in the beginning there? They're maybe not. They're obviously targeting versatile guys, but the athleticism and the ability to actually mold an athletic guy into a possible three and D contributor. Maybe that's sort of the tantalizing idea for the Suns.
3: Sure, and you know, especially if you think about how hesitant McDonough has been to say that they're going to actually add four rookies to the roster next year. You know, maybe a way to hedge that bet and develop them more slowly is to use those two-way contracts. I think I've been thinking more and more about that, especially considering how eager or at least willing to move on from even guys that had a good 2017-18 season. He seems to be, their front office seems to be, we could see some pretty big overhaul and, you know, a lot of different faces at the end of the roster, but the other thing, statistically, Carl really does kind of jump off the page. He took five and a half threes a game, I think uh, over six per 40 minutes, made 43%. He had a 2.2 to one assist to turnover ratio, um, used 30% of Penn State's possessions. I mean, obviously, you hear Penn State, that's not really a basketball school. To hear a prospect from him like him come from there is pretty awesome and obviously shows what advantage he took of the opportunity in a, almost a 6-9 wingspan. So, he, I think, out of all these guys, combines the physical gifts with you know, some actual production, something that makes you really feel like he could develop at the next level.
0: Is he a guy to you, I mean, as far as negatives go, what stands out to him? Because when I watch him, it's just like almost Dial, like I said earlier, where he has games where he can go for 30-plus points, but then there's some nights where he just goes one for 12 from the floor.
3: Yeah, that, that's definitely it. And, you know, um, I think... He, I guess he is a pretty decent free throw shooter. For some reason, I had it in my head that he wasn't. But I mean, I think the thing with him is like you look at the physical gifts that I mentioned, and I said, oh, I can't speak to his technical defense or anything like that. I mean, just looking at the numbers, some of the stuff that can be an indicator for positive defensive performance, steal and block percentages were both really low for him, despite that wig span and height advantage that he had against guards. Um, I think he just, it's tough too with the lack of teammate talent. For him, but you know, it's what does thirty percent usage really mean? Can he handle a role like that? Probably not. So then we know what kind of role are you looking at for him? If he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time, pull up jump shots only happen when you have the ball in your hands. He only shot forty one percent from the field in total, despite that awesome three three point percentage. So you know, it's it's that inconsistency that comes with having the ball in your hand so much. You can have awesome nights, like you said, you can have some not-so-great ones, especially when your teammates
0: aren't so great. That's a good point, because really, Tony Carr suffered a lot of that this year at Penn State. He really didn't have much at all of NBA talent, so that's going to be really interesting to watch, because he could be a guy that could be there at 31, he could be there at 59. I think he's one of the guys that really, it seems like his range is really big as far as this year's draft goes, but I want to, sure. to end it on just going back to where Aaron Holiday, because he was super impressive. He was lapping guys, he was in the pacer run, he was super articulate in his interview. It just seems like, and also, Pat Conley, when we spoke to him, he mentioned how tenacious of, the, the, a, tenacious of a defender he is. He's a very good playmaker. He showed it. He's very vocal. In he was very vocal in the competitive workouts. They loved his competitiveness. And he said his character is another thing, too, that really stands out when you talk to him. So, is he a guy that maybe, if the Suns do take DeAndre Aiden, number one, they do need some shooting, they need some defense, they need some versatility? Is Aaron Holliday sort of the guy? It seems like, Falling mock drafts he's in the 15 to 25 range they see a guy maybe they could like more than than most and take him at 16 because he has all those tools to work with
3: i definitely think the shooting will be a weapon i think that helps you feel good about his odds of contributing at the nba level that ability to shoot on and off the ball is going to help him no matter where he goes you think about his fit in a team like the Suns that obviously will help him because of how much Devin Booker is going to have the ball in his hands. In most situations, it's kind of an, an, a solid combo guard type of player to pair with Devin Booker. I think defensively, I probably would disagree with you a little bit as to his ability to contribute on that end, just because he's only six one. I mean, I am surprised actually to hear that he was had that much, you know, stamina and speed, especially after the long workout that you didn't see to, you know, set the record basically for the the run. But, you know, to me, he never has jumped out as a really awesome athlete, somebody who's going to use that as a real skill at the NBA level. Maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, I I have no idea. He's obviously had a really productive college career. You don't get that without improving and being a good athlete. But to me, I think the the value really comes if he's kind of a backup point guard type of player who's, you know, providing that floor spacing and making good decisions and stuff like that. I've never really thought of him as... A starter quality player, which he probably has to be if you're going to take him at 16.
0: Now, does he remind you a little bit of a mini Brandon Knight? Because when I watch him, I see shooting from all three levels, but I also see really, really bad defense at times. So, is he kind of a guy in a similar mold to Brandon Knight if they are high on a guy like Brandon Knight still in the Suns organization, where they could say, hey, Brandon Knight's making this much money until 2020, but here's his replacement in two years.
3: Yeah, they're definitely, I think, they're, I think that's a good, I think, um, and similar with all these guys too, in a way, the, the ball, the you know, college point guards, holidays, another one, 27% usage last year. Can't imagine, especially early in his career, that would be where he's at, of course. So, you know, in a smaller role playing kind of on and, on and off the ball on the second unit, kind of growing, learning the game with somebody so similar to him, maybe there is some, Upside there, and you know the Suns are going to probably continue to take more and more threes as they add more spacing. So I think that's their offense is going to become a little more modern, and that's going to help somebody like Holiday. Um, I just I don't know. I've always kind of been negative on him. I just don't see even with those numbers he doesn't you know consistently just like take over games like that, which you'd expect with all the offensive skill he has. That he just would you know sometimes you just oh YouTube forty five points Aaron Holiday first round pick one of those mixtape videos and. And he just didn't really have a lot of performances
0: like that. And that kind of disappointed me. Yeah, he's a guy, It seems very similar to this entire list where just inconsistency was marred on this entire list with Diallo, Carr, Holiday, Simons also, because we don't even know how he's going to transit to the NBA so far. But what's your main takeaway as far as Holiday? Because for me, all this, he's a guy I'm going to be paying more attention to because he just stood out to me in person. But for the people who really haven't watched holiday, just what's your overall thoughts? Cause it seems like you're a little low on him. Like I have him on thirty thirty three 33 on my board. He might move up a little bit, but he's a guy probably is more in consideration at 31 for me than 16.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. If they took him at, at 31, I, I don't think I would complain. I don't necessarily, I think there's better options there, including car, but I think that, you know, he's not a bad option. They obviously just like, is the case with Dayton, had an easier opportunity to see him. Maybe I, I hope that doesn't really impact it too much, but obviously the more information you have about a guy having him played at UCLA in the Pac twelve can't hurt. So maybe they just feel more comfortable there than some of these other options. Somebody like Simons, who is like you said, one of the biggest question marks in the class. Um, I don't you know, I don't think Aaron Holiday can't be an NBA player, but I guess really maybe where my frustration comes is how high he's been on other boards that I've seen and thinking there's no way he's a starting NBA point card. And, you know, like I said, if he's a, if he's your pick at 16, he probably has to be. If he's your pick at 31, I think you'd still want him to be a pretty big contributor at that spot. And, you know, I just think there's better options.
0: For sure. I think, honestly, this workout was up by far the best one of the two so far. And it seems like the Suns are going to really ramp things up for the next week because we have three more workouts the rest of the week, so we're going to have a lot more pre-draft coverage for you. And we also have some special guests for you later this week. We have David Pick the euro basket insider he's really the guy the woge of euro of europe so he's going to be a really fun listen on friday or thir- for the friday's episode we're also going to have jeff siegel of fan side over so that'll be a really fun lesson on wednesday so i appreciate you guys listening to today's episode we're going over the six prospects a little bit more in detail but we'll be back with you guys on wednesday for